it is a blessing to meet with you and to see your smiling faces. Uh, so we'll be in Isaiah 51, starting in verse 17. One might think that with the technological advances we have, that wake-up calls would be a thing of the past, but I was surprised to find out there's many online free services that offer wake-up calls. Like, I always use them when I go to a hotel, because half the time I'd have to reprogram the alarm clock, you'd get it wrong, and, and with mobiles now, that's my alarm. It's my alarm every morning, so you can take it with you. You're familiar with it. It's great. And if you're unfamiliar with that, basically it's a free service that you tell the desk, you call, say, I'd like a wake-up call at 6 a.m. Okay. And then the, the phone rings at 6 a.m., like it or not, and then you, you get up. Now, maybe people still use them because they don't trust themselves to remember. I don't know. I don't know. Does anyone use an online wake-up call service? Yeah, it's, it's, there was a heap of them. I was, wow, this is amazing. But today's message, it's really a wake-up call to God's people. For their sin, God's people in the, the time of Isaiah, God allowed Jerusalem to be overthrown, to be taken into captivity. They mourned over their situation. They grieved over their sins. It was like in their trials, it seemed like God was sleeping, but the reality was they were spiritually asleep. They were in this sick bed of idolatry, and spiritual fornication, and they were paralyzed with their sin, and really mourning and grieving their losses, thinking that life can never be good again, because we've lost our children, we've lost our future, we've lost our homeland, we've lost our ability to worship God, and it was like so bleak for them. But God wanted them to wake up, to get up, and to be strengthened, and to realize, hey, repent, Trust me, I haven't forgotten you. Things may be difficult, but I have remembered you, and I have favor for you. He had promises for them. He had comfort for them. Comfort that was greater than the sorrow they had at that moment. And we can be like the children of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, that when that alarm goes in the morning, uh, that wake-up call comes, you cringe, and you, you don't really want to get up. You don't feel like getting up. You, you may not feel like standing up. It may take you a while to stand up because parts of your body have seized up a bit during the night. You might not be highly motivated to get up early to go to work or to come to church. And this is where the Jews found themselves spiritually. They were just in that bed, paralyzed. They were in pain, but still not comforted. And God would give them the strength to stand if they would be willing and obedient. If they would listen to him, he would give them the strength. They didn't have it in themselves to stand, but he gave them a future. He had a future so bright for them that their struggles and their past would be completely overshadowed, just bright, where they could look forward and say, we have a bright future because of our God, not because of our history, not because of our effort, not because I feel like it or positive thoughts. No, it's because I have a God who loves me and has a plan for my life. The truth is I need to wake up to the call of Christ. If I am lamenting the weakness or the powerlessness of the church in the world and I'm someone who's just hitting the snooze button, 
spiritually, hitting that snooze button, hitting that snooze button. When the call of God comes, I just, I wake up, but then I roll over. I don't get up. I don't get out of bed. And um, I don't want to be like that sluggard that's resembling hinges, just turning on his bed, not actually getting up. And so when the call of Christ comes to you, do you turn in your bed and fall back asleep again? Or will you get up and walk righteously? So it's time to wake up. You wake up. You stand on your feet. You lay hold of the promises. You take steps of faith and obedience. And that's what I need to do. It really starts with you and me. If we lament the weakness of the church, well, you are part of the body of Christ. You are the church of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So will you wake and stand? And let's pray as we begin to read God's word. Lord, thank you that you have much to say to us and that you've given us the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all truth. And I pray you would apply this to our hearts, Lord, that we would choose to take steps in obedience to you. If we've been like that that uh, person in bed, hitting the spiritual snooze button, just enjoying the comforts for a few minutes, but really not caring to stand. Lord, I pray you would stand us up. We would choose to get up. We would surrender our will to you. We would give you our lives. And we wouldn't uh, just play around anymore. We'd wake up. You'd wake us all up. And thank you, Lord, that this call is for each one of us. There's not one person here that it's not applicable to because we all sleep. You have made us that way. And spiritually, Lord, we don't have to. So I pray that you would keep us up and keep us focused and faithful. And Lord, I pray that your love, your grace, and your mercy would follow us all the days of our lives, that we would seek after you. And you've promised that we'll find you when we seek you with our whole hearts. And we pray that we would find you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 51, starting in verse 17. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There is no one to guide her among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword, By whom will I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. God's people in Jerusalem had drunk to the dregs the cup of God, this cup of judgment and wrath, his fury that was poured out on them for their sin. Now, dregs, that would be the sediment that falls to the bottom in a vessel where wine is being um, fermented, those dead yeast bodies will fall to the bottom, and over time there'll be some sediment. And the idea is they drank the whole cup. They drank it to the bitter end. It was a large cup. It was, had a lot of volume to it, and they drank it all. They couldn't inquire of God anymore. They couldn't go home. They were in a foreign land. Their kids the ones that they looked to to be the future generation, to turn Israel around, they were dead in the streets. And that is hard to imagine. 
when you've hoped for a future and you want great things for your kids and to see them dead, and, and that, that hope is gone, I mean, that's bitter. That's horrible. It's unthinkable. They didn't have a king among them. They had no deliverer who, would raise up, who God raised up to bring them out. Right? There was no one among their people that was the next king, someone that could guide and help them become a nation again. There was no one. And all their hopes of salvation and help were dashed. In many cultures, kids are a kind of insurance policy for parents. Parents care and raise for their children, and in later life, in your later years, there's an expectation that your kids will help you when there's decisions that need to be made or help with technology or whatever. Um, And because of God's judgment, many of the young people had perished. They were dead. And they grieved over their lost children in the foreign land, and yet God says to them, wake up, like come to your senses. The dark days of your past don't need to cloud your future. The loss of your sons will not mean your desolation. Like there is light, there is hope, there is a future in me. And this is good for us to hear as Christians. When we see young people that are following Jesus and and full on in their faith, it's exciting because you think, wow, God's got a hold of that young life. And you think of the potential of how they could be used to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And to see those people in which there's so much promise and hope fall away and go into the world, it's, it's grieving. We, I mourn when I see that. We all have hopes that a new generation will rise of young people who fear God and who are the power of God is evident in their lives, that love the word of God who are about living righteously. And that doesn't seem to be happening all over the world, right? Now, if we're mourning over this lost generation of these children, these Christians that we expect to do the heavy lifting, God says to you in your older years, wake up, get up, stand up. There's something God has for you to do. You may want to pass a ministry off to someone who's younger and, and has some passion and some energy. But God's like, can't I supply that for you? Can't I help you? Won't I give you the power to stand up and do the things I've called you to do? Think about that. Even in the twilight years on this planet, God has work for you. Something specific he wants you to be doing. Think about Caleb in his old age, how he said, give me this mountain. The mountain was fortified, and there were giants that lived there. But at over 80 years old, he's like, God made me a promise, and I'm going to enter in. This I claim this. It's a hard, hard job, but I believe God's going to do it. And he did. He prevailed. So the question is, will we wake up, stand up, and be counted among God's faithful servants? Will we trade the comforts of sleeping in for a long day of working in the Lord's vineyard? where you get stained and dirty and it's tiring and long and you're bearing the heat of the day, persecution and trials and difficulties, making personal sacrifices. Maybe there's something you'd like to be doing, but God is saying, well, work in my vineyard. That's an exclusive task. You can't be on holiday and be working in my vineyard at the same time. Now, what's so cool is we can go on holiday and still be about God's business. 
we can still bring people to Christ because we're bringing Christ to them. It's estimated that everyone sleeps a third of their lifetime. So if you think of how old you are, that can stay private. And then divide it by three. Well, a third of that you've spent sleeping. So the question is, how long, Christian, have you spent in your Christian walk sleeping? Haven't we slept enough, right? There's only so much time in the day. And Jesus was very focused when he was on earth. He's like, hey, I work because my father's working. And there's a day coming when it's going to be night. I won't be able to work. But while it's day, I'm going to be working. And we live in the day. Jesus has come. He has shown his light. And so it's time for us to wake up and to to take advantage of the opportunities of the light we have. Isaiah 51, 21. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the God and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. Though the afflictions of God's people were due to their own rebellion and folly, God was merciful to them. God loved them. After they drank that cup of judgment to the full, he did not give them a refill. Notice that. They drank it to the bottom, and he says, I am now going to take that away from you. You don't have to hold on to the cup anymore. You don't have to wait for a free refill. No, that's over. Their sin called for severe blows, but it was enough. A time came when, okay, you finished that. When a patron in a pub has had too much to drink, the bartender has the right, or the, the freedom, let's say, to cut them off. To say, you know what, mate, you've had enough. You're not talking coherently. You're slurring your words. You can't even stand up. You're cut off. And they can ask a belligerent patron to leave. Now God, he cut his people off from additional judgment from him. Their sin called for blows. And he said, you know what? It's enough. That's enough for you. So he's not cutting off something good for them. He's, he's cutting off his judgment. Which, if we, res- we can respond to it in a good way. And he was going to be their advocate. He was their redeemer. He was also going to punish those who afflicted them. So he said, I'm going to take that cup away from you and I'm going to give it to the ones who afflicted you, the ones who were brutal to you. It was customary in those days when you defeat an enemy, you would say, lay down, and you would walk on them. You would trample over them. You would ride on your horse over their bodies. You would drag your chariot over them. And the the people would march over them just to show that they had subjugated them and they were under them. And so he says, that's what you guys have been like. You've been laying on the ground, and they've just been walking over you. But I'm telling you, wake up. Stand up. You don't have to be there anymore. The Babylonians would face that treatment because they would reap what they had sown. The judgment of God's people, there's an end to that. But the wicked, they will be punished forever, those who don't repent. So even... When we're chastened, God does not cut us off, but he cuts us off from judgment 
But the wicked, they're cut off from hope and life forever. So we have such a, a hope in God. Now, going into Isaiah 52, verse 1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourselves from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you shall, you have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Again, he says, awake, awake. He tells them to stand up in chapter 51. Now he says, put on strength and put on those beautiful garments. Stand up and get dressed. You know, take that dust off of your head. Dust was a sign of mourning. And so he says, you know, shake the dust off of you. That mourning and grieving, it's not part of your, your, you don't need to be mourning this perpetually. Put on those beautiful garments I've given you and get ready because it's time to return to the holy city where I've placed my name. For the captives in Babylon, the day of their captivity was drawing to the end. Jerusalem would be rebuilt, even in difficult times with enemies all around. Ultimately, this passage is speaking of a future event when Jesus, the Messiah, will set his feet down and will establish his throne in Jerusalem. They had, but this is also true for the time in Isaiah, they had sold themselves into captivity for nothing. They had sinned, they had committed spiritual adultery, but God said, I'm going to redeem you without money. I'm going to bring you out with a mighty hand. I'm going to pay the price for your release. And isn't that a lovely picture of what Jesus has done for us as Christians? That we've been spiritually freed from the curse of sin and death? That we've been given a new life? We've come out of the darkness and into the light, the shackles that were around our necks? He says, you can take that off now because I've freed you. I've paid the price for your redemption. And so we're to dust ourselves off and rejoice in our redemption. It would be so sad for someone for 70 years to mourn their captivity. And then God says, I'm setting you free. And not to rejoice over that? Not to respond? It, like, okay, finally, this, that long, dry season is over. We're entering a new time and a time of rejoicing. If you could turn to Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, we see that it does uh correlate with what we've received as Christians, how we had sin and God exchanged it for his righteousness. Those are the garments he's provided us, the righteousness of Christ. Romans 13, 11 through 14. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So he says, it's high time to wake up. It's time. Now is the time to wake up. We're to put off all sins, all hindrances to our walk with Christ and to put on that armor of God that's written of through the Holy Spirit 
in Ephesians chapter 6. Now, I don't know of any situation where a warrior fights better bound or in bed. Right? Sleeping. Like, I fight best when I'm sleeping. No. If you're going to fight, you have to have your wits about you. You have to have open eyes. If you're just swinging a sword with your eyes shut, even that's not going to be very uh, effective. So he says, now's the time to get up. Now's the time to get out of bed. It's time to put on the armor of God. It's time to walk as children of the day. Don't make provisions for the lusts of the flesh, but choose to honor God. Exercise yourselves unto godliness. This is what he's saying. So let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not coddle the flesh, but do what we know we should do. Because we know that, right? But it is it is so nice in the winter to stay in those that nice warm bed just for another 10 minutes. Just another 10 minutes. And 10 minutes becomes half an hour. And then, and then we really fall asleep. And yeah, it just goes on from there. I'll let the Lord talk to you about that one. Isaiah 52, verse 4. For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there, and the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them will make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. In the nation of Israel's history, Joseph went down to Egypt, not uh, by choice. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. And God, through miraculous events, caused him to be second in command of Egypt, corresponding to when there was a huge famine in the land. And so through Joseph being there and having the wisdom of God, he made provision for this famine that was coming in seven years. And over the passage of time, uh, when the famine was severe, With Pharaoh's blessing, he gladly invited his family to come to Egypt to have provision, and they stayed in the land of Goshen. Then a new Pharaoh came who did not know Joseph after Joseph passed, and over the hundreds of years where they remained there, they began to grow and to multiply to the point where the Egyptians were a bit worried about the size. Like, if they decided to fight against us, we'd have a real fight on our hands. We'd have a problem. So they oppressed them and they enslaved them. So that's where it says the Assyrian oppressed, uh, went down to Egypt to dwell there. God brought them out. Then the Assyrians came to the northern kingdom. They sacked the northern kingdom and they put the southern kingdom under tribute. So you've got the Egyptian issue where they were enslaved. You have the Assyrians who came, but now the Babylonians had come and taken them away. He says, they've taken them for nothing. What have I here? It's kind of comical when I read that. What do we see here? What is this? My people are taken away for nothing? My name is being continually blasphemed every day? You think you, your, your gods, your idols are better than me, stronger than me? And every day, I mean, Daniel is named after the gods of, of Babylon? Instead of being permanently scattered or destroyed, God would see them brought back. He knew how they were suffering. And look what it says. He says, therefore, my people shall know my name. In that day, they will know that I am he who speaks. Behold, 
it is I. There were people born in Babylon to the Jews who had never seen the power of God on display. They had only heard stories about Egypt. They had only heard about the temple and the sacrifices and how the fire of God came down and consumed the offering. They hadn't seen anything like that. They actually didn't know God. They had heard about God, but they really didn't know God. And so God's like, when I bring you out of Babylon, you'll know that I'm God. You know that I am speaking to you, that I'm real, and that I have real power to work in your life, to bring you out of bondage and to bring you into freedom. It's interesting how bondage can be the path to freedom. Open our eyes to his reality and his salvation. God's invested his eternal love in his people, and he was going to be their advocate. And the same is true for you. He paid the price through Jesus. He has given you exceedingly great and precious promises. It's his power that strengthens you. And so the question is, is God's power evident in my life? Is it on display for all to see? That people could look and say, wow, like the people did when God brought his people out of Egypt. You have an awesome God. There's no way that that could have happened. But we heard about what your God did. And when God frees us from addictions and and, uh, sins and depression and, and all these things, we have a testimony of God's salvation, the power of his, of his love in our lives. Now, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Those mountains around Jerusalem, they had borne witness to war, famine, fire, human sacrifice, idolatry in every high place. Now imagine the joy of the people, this huge reversal, when people who have been captives for 70 years come back into the country singing victory songs, being restored to the land. When they came over that last crest and they saw the city there, and they knew that they had come home, They had come to a place where God had called them, where he had put his everlasting name. What good news and peace that God's people had come back. They returned to the city. That long spiritual dry season, it was come to an end. That period of captivity and separation, it was over. The bitterness of the cup of God's judgment and wrath, it was over. It was finished. And now they were able to enter into the sweetness of his fellowship. God had saved his people from captivity. They had been true, plundered, trampled, killed when forced to Babylon, but they were brought back without a fight with the king's blessing, King Cyrus. The sound of those feet on the mountains was a proclamation of God's power, his reality, his salvation. And when I used to go to baseball games in... uh, San Diego, there was a stadium at the time called Jack Murphy Stadium. And I remember as a kid, I always liked when uh, everyone would stomp their feet because you could you could actually feel the place shake. And you're like, is this place going to fall down? Because you could feel the vibrations and, you know, 50,000 people, 60,000 all clapping and stomping at the same time. 
It's like, wow, this is really cool. And you think about those 50,000 people coming home, returning home uh, to fellowship with God and to rebuild that city. And they all wanted to be there. That's the part of it that really blows me away is they all wanted to be there. That's the huge difference between high school and uni. When you get to uni, people actually want to be there. They, they realize that to m- move on in their particular field of study, this really counts and it matters for something. For the most part. I mean, you may have some that are just there because, but, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why we come to church. But how wonderful is it when we show up to study or discipleship course or on a Sunday morning or, or even when we go to a park and we're there with unity of God's love and grace and mercy, when there's one mind and one heart and one accord, when we're all there because we want to be there, not because we feel like we have to be there or it's a duty that we need to do. As one man, you have these people, young and old, coming back to the city, some for the first time. It wasn't coming back. It was, it was going to a place they'd never gone before. But they wanted to go. And they knew that God had brought them out and he would bring them in. Now, when I was a youth pastor in the States, it was evident on a Sunday morning, not everyone wanted to be there. There were times where I, I would see kids leave and I'm like, hold on. And I'd have to go find them. They were tucked away in some dark room somewhere or leaving the church and, you know, have to bring them back. You know, your parents think you're here, so this is where you need to be for now. There would be some that would just tune out, you know, just like catatonic. Um, Hopefully it wasn't because I was just going on and on. But on a Saturday night even, we had a skate park. We played basketball and football, and some kids came to play football. Some kids came to play basketball. But there were other kids that came because they... They wanted to worship God, and they wanted to pray. And when we had times to come away from the group and say, hey, if someone wants to pray, come on. And you'd have a handful of kids that wanted to pray. And that was so sweet because they all wanted to pray. They all wanted to be there. When your hearts are in agreement to seek God, to praise God, to serve God together, there's nothing more beautiful than that. It's lovely. Oh, that our hearts would be united in such a way to fear God, to worship God, We don't have to pine away for the millennium or eternity where we can finally be around people that love Jesus and have experienced his salvation. We can experience that today through him. We can be like these people proclaiming the good news just with their walking together over those mountains that had seen so much. So the question is, are you free today? Are you rejoicing in God's salvation? Have you experienced the power and joy that the Holy Spirit brings, the peace that passes understanding? Or are you living in fear or grief? How could it be we don't walk in victory when our God reigns? Our God reigns. He's the king over all. So decide today that Jesus will be your Lord that you will come to him today. Jesus, he stands in our midst proclaiming peace, glad tidings of good things, salvation. It's like he extends those nail-pierced hands to you, having defeated sin and death. And he says, come to me if you're weary. Come to me if you're thirsty and drink. 
And Christ's wounds, they speak of his salvation and grace and redemption for you. So let's, if, if our faith has been theoretical until now, let's come to Jesus. Make sure he's a reality. He is your reality. Isaiah 52, verse 8. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Did I skip a part there? Yes, I did. Let me read that again. Verse 9. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Now imagine the scene. Jerusalem, largely uninhabited, desolate. There's a handful of farmers and poor people that have been left to to tend the land. And think of a poor shepherd, let's say, and he's outside the burnt-down rubble of the city, and he's only known it to be rubble. He's a young man. He's lived there for 30 years, but as far as he knows, the place has always been like it is. He's never seen it in its glory days. It's a burned ruin, and there he he's resting, drifting in and out of sleep while his flock of sheep is grazing. It's pretty quiet and serene, but then he hears a sound, and he He jumps to his feet and he looks and out on the horizon he sees something glittering and he takes his hand to his brow and he looks, is that an army? He's getting ready to to sound the alarm and to warn everyone that the enemies have come and are attacking them to get their fortifications ready to hide in their holes and then he hears them singing in Hebrew. He hears them singing victory songs that he knows from the Psalms. What a joy that would be if you were that man on that day. Where these people, they're coming back to rebuild something that had laid desolate for decades. Something that was lost out of mind, it seemed, to the rest of the world. But now God's people had come. They were returning to rebuild with the favor of the king. Most importantly, with the favor of God. And I can just hear that watchman singing along with them seeing them eye to eye and just going, wow, look at this. Where did you come from? Like we speak the same language. What tribe are you from? Oh, I'm from Reuben. I'm from Dan. And they're just having this reunion. And uh, what a hope, not just for the people who were coming back from Babylon, for the people that were still there in the land. And now they were together, rejoicing in God, praising him. And we have this privilege today to look eye to eye with other Christians who have been delivered from sin, who have the promise of eternal life. And I encourage you, if you're not seeing eye to eye with them today, make sure you do. Make sure if there's things that are in your lives that that there's offense or there's hurts, please talk to them. Get to a point where you can see eye to eye. You may not agree on everything, but I encourage you to be right with one another as Jesus is right with you. So we can praise, we can worship. And a day is coming, most importantly, when we're going to see Jesus eye to eye. And you know, when, you, when you're when you looking at another believer, 
um, Christ is in that person. And we can rejoice in that. So the prophet says, break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. There's no life so hopeless. There's no waste place that God cannot redeem or comfort or cause to rejoice. There's no barren land that is beyond the touch of his living water. God was able to redeem a land scarred by war and fire, destroyed by a long siege and brutal attacks by enemies. The place where dead men laid in the streets would be a place filled with singing and the praise of God. A complete reversal from what it was. Desolate and barren, then a thriving, growing uh, place where God's people dwelt. The land that was once drenched in tears of sorrow would be watered with tears of joy. And I'm thinking, if you're suffering today, if you're struggling, how could you sleep through this? How could you? When God has such consolation for you. When he says, come to me, find rest. This is our wake-up call. This is your wake-up call. Don't you see that until now, it very well may be that you've heard about redemption, you've heard about new life, you've heard about joy through the gospel, but you've never experienced it yourself. The fullness of the Spirit, it's something you know about, but you don't understand, you haven't experienced. May God break us with that realization when we say, you know, I know the truth, but I haven't been walking in it. I, I know that there's things I should be do, but I've been, I've been more comfortable in bed. I've been, I've been more happy to press the snooze button than to be obedient to the one thing he's telling me to do in this small area that I'm resisting him. And when you preach something like this, God talks to you. And there's things in my life this week that I've had to just do away with. Where it's like, you know what? That game does not honor me. Okay, I'll get rid of it. Clean house. I want our lives, I believe and know it's God's will, that our lives would be a demonstration of his power, his grace, and his love to the world that we know, I have been saved, I have been washed, I have been cleaned. Not unbelief and futility. So God, it says, he made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So God bared his arm. It's like he rolled up his sleeves. He's like, all right, it's time to get to work. And he made bare his arm and um, no muscles in the world can compare when he bears his arm. And he brought them out of Egypt. And he brought them into the land of promise. He allowed them to go into captivity. And now he brought them out. And they weren't rushed. They weren't forced like they were in Egypt. Remember, they had to eat in, in uh, readiness, eat quickly with their staff in their hand and their, their, their sandals on their feet. But now he's going to bring them out. And God has made bare his arm with many of us here in this room where he's delivered us from oppression and from addictions, from darkness, from fears, from worries. He's brought us out and he's brought us in to that place of the fullness of the spirit where we have been comforted 
the question that came to mind, is the testimony of my life worthy of all God has done for me? Is the testimony of your life worthy of what, so that's your current lifestyle, is that worthy of what God has done for you? It can be, it will be, when we wake up, we hear his voice, we stand, and we obey him. That's how it happens. That's a potential for all of us. And it's not going to be because you go, I want to make God great. No, God is great. <laughs> he is glorious. And he wants to be revealed through your life. He, he wants to be revealed to you and through you re- be revealed to others. We have to be a willing participant there. Isaiah 52, 11. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He's speaking to people who would leave Babylon. They could not return to Jerusalem unless they first left Babylon, right? You can't stay in Babylon and return. Those are two mutually exclusive things. We can't, in a spiritual sense, put off the old man. Uh, I mean, we can't put on the new man until we put off the old man. If we're trying to uh, put on the new man without putting off the old man, it's kind of like... Uh, trying to put a wetsuit over a full suit of clothes. It's very frustrating and difficult and impossible. You won't be able to do it. So we've got to put off the old man first. We've got to confess our sin and repent. And then we'll be able to walk in light. Now, they were going to be leaving Babylon, but God wanted them to leave the idols of Babylon in Babylon. That's something they hadn't done when they left Egypt. They brought the idols of Egypt into the promised land. And Joshua confronted them about it. He says, if you're going to follow God, then get rid of all those idols that you brought from Egypt that you've been carrying around for 40 plus years. Get rid of them. They've got no place in your life. And so he says, depart from there, but touch no unclean thing. Don't bring the uncleanness of Babylon with you into Jerusalem. You've got to leave it behind. It's just going to be a snare to you. And he reminded them of their identity. He said, you are sanctified to bear the vessels of the Lord, to be involved with the worship of God. Those things that corrupt, they have no place in your life because you've been called to holiness. And as Christians, we don't bear the vessels of the Lord. We actually are the vessel of the Lord. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We don't have any like... uh, holy candle sticks or um, you know an ark of the covenant that we need to put on our shoulders and we have to do ceremonial cleansing before we can touch it or or cover it with badger skins no god has put his presence within us and so he says when i brought you out of babylon leave the unclean things in babylon and come into this new place that i have for you a new life he would go before them with his protection before and behind. He's like, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to supply everything you need. You don't need to think, oh, well, that's worth a lot of money. If I bring that, I can pawn it, and then I can, you know, we can have food. And No, trust me. I'll bring you out. I'll guard you. If you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and 34. I'm just going to look at a couple of verses to this end. 
about awaking to righteousness. So it's doing what is right. Paul was writing to Christians in Corinth who were spiritually sleeping. They had been made drowsy and senseless through sin. There were some who were corrupted. They had brought worldly ideas into the church and weren't doing things God's way. And so 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. He says, do not be deceived is because we can be deceived. And he says, evil company corrupts. Evil things will corrupt you. So put them away. Awake to righteousness. Do not sin. So that means doing what's right and choosing not to sin. So we're to put things that are unclean away from us, to fix our hearts upon Christ. And it's a shame if our lives as Christians, our practices or our playlists or our passions, they're just like everyone else's in the world. There's no distinction at all. So we ought to be a people set apart for God. We can't purify our hearts from sin or our hands from sin, but when we repent and we trust in Christ, he washes us. But then we also have a part to play in this. We should be walking in purity as he's washed us. Like if, uh, for instance, when I was a kid, there was this big, I just remember one, one particular time where there's this big mud puddle. And it's like my brother and cousin got in big trouble because they were literally wallowing in this mud puddle. They were just... First, it started with, let's get our gumboots. And so they had their gumboots, and they were kind of tromping on the edges. And then they were just, let's see how deep it is. And they were stomping through the middle, leave a gumboot behind. It just kind of one thing at it went to another until the point where they were like literally rolling, just absolutely caked in mud. So it was kind of, okay, all right, it's time for a bath. So then they went in the bath. Now, it wasn't good for them when they decided to get muddy again after the bath, because they had been had a talking to and said, stay away from the mud. You've been dirty. Now you're clean. Stay clean. And what did they do? You know, they got a little close and threw a rock and, oh, it just started again. So they got in trouble for that one. So it's like, we've been washed. We've been cleansed. God says, all right, clean garments. My robe of righteousness is on you. Now live like I've cleaned you. Don't bring the things out of Babylon. Don't keep playing around with that stuff. You know what I'm talking about. He says to us, I don't know what he's talking about sometimes, but I trust that he will show you. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not to be filled with unclean things. Now, one more verse, 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 through 21. Talking about a vessel of honor. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 21. We can make the mistake of thinking, if I was in a particular role, like if I was a Levite and I had to carry those objects, I totally would take it seriously. Meaning that I'm really not taking it seriously now because that's not my job. Don't That, that is totally reversed. God will use those in places of honor, and that doesn't mean that you'll be known, doesn't mean you'll be famous, 
but it means that you'll be known by him as someone he can entrust his truth. Okay, so in 2 Timothy 2, 19. Nevertheless, this solid foundation of God stands having the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. The church is compared to a house built by stones chosen by God. And Jesus, so we're those living stones, puts this house together. And Jesus is that chief cornerstone. Now, people in the church, you can choose in your personal life to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. It's kind of like in a castle. Just by virtue of being in a castle doesn't mean that every vessel is equally uh, valued. There's many useful vessels, such as a bedpan, that are there, but it's not really, if you could be one, I don't think you would choose that for yourself, right? I would much rather be a vessel of gold, a goblet that is filled with the best wine that the king will hold in his hand and push toward a distinguished guest so he can drink something that's good. So if you are living, you get to choose if you want to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Both useful, okay? An ashtray is a useful thing. It contains ashes, and but... It, It's not really an honorable vessel. So you get to choose. If you want to be like that silver platter that's loaded with with princely delicacies, good things, where the king would offer it to a guest. And that's how our lives can be lived, where God's like, I put my spirit in you. I want to offer myself to others through you. Good things, not polluted. Because if you're polluted, I can't use you like that. Now, God can use anyone. He can use uh, someone who is not walking with the Lord to bring glory to him. He's able to do that. But you have a part to play if you choose to be a vessel of honor or dishonor. And that's based upon if you walk in righteousness or not. God has sanctified us, but we're also to sanctify ourselves. Notice in verse 21, it says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter. So we know we can't cleanse ourselves from sin as far as washing myself pure before God. But I do have a role in making intentional choices to put sinful practices and things out of my life. Okay, that makes sense, right? So that's the person that's sanctified and useful for the master. It's already been prepared. God comes into your life. You say, okay, you know, there's a lot in my life that doesn't honor God. I'm putting that away. I want, I want to be a vessel of honor. I want to be someone that God gives his truth to that's pure for the master's use. So those who refi- refuse the unclean thing, th- those are the, the platters of silver and the goblets of gold that God will use. So we are going to go into a time of communion today. And it's interesting that In receiving communion, we have to be physically awake. If some of you had, uh, let's say, drifted off by the melodious sound of my voice, 
And uh, yes, it's quite piercing. It would actually be quite difficult to fall asleep. But it's happened, believe me. So if you were to fall asleep and the invitation to come forward was given and the band is playing and just casting you into a deeper slumber, well, you could not partake because to partake, you must get up, come forward and receive of the elements that point to the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood. Make sure that you're spiritually awake, that you have responded to this wake-up call to say, Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor. When you call me, I want to be one who gets up, who puts on those clean clothes you've given me, and who walks in the way that pleases you. It's high time for us to live righteously. If there was ever a time, it's right now, today. Today is the day of salvation, and today is the day to walk in the way that fully pleases God. Let me just read uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 21 through 31. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are sick, weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So when we come to the Lord of the table, it's not just the Lord's table, we come to the Lord of the table. We are to examine ourselves and to say, Lord, show me if there's an unclean thing that I need to put out of my life, an unclean habit, something that is not pleasing. I don't want to be as these as people are. Um, the children of Israel, it was greed and idolatry and self-righteousness God judged them because they refused to repent. So let's repent. Let's come before him and take stock of our hearts. God gives us these wake-up calls. He's gracious to us. We, we always I don't always want a wake-up call. It's coming way too early for me. I'd rather, I'd rather get up when I feel like getting up, but sometimes God gives us these wake-up calls because he loves us and he wants us to respond to his word. When my life is in jeopardy, I appreciate the wake-up call. If the house is burning down around me, I'm really grateful. Maybe not for that first split second, but when the smoke hits my nostrils and I'm feeling the heat, then I'm like, wow, I'm really grateful that you did that. I may even give you a Christmas card, you know, uh, like real appreciation. And that's probably not the, the best example. But remember that God has what he saved you from and what he saved you for. You're a child of God if you're born again. Let's walk in that holy way. Let's rise from sleep. Let's purify our hearts. Let's wash our hands and choose to do what pleases him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the wake-up calls that you give us. Thank you that you have 
things for us to do, and you want to use us, Lord. Help us to be vessels of honor, like Jesus was, who submitted his will to you, who said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross, and he shed his own blood so we could live. And he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by your by his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us to salvation in Jesus. Thank you that you've given us new life. Uh, Just like you brought the people out of Babylon and back to Jerusalem, Lord, we want our lives to be built on the foundation of Jesus and to be pure so that you can use us, so that your praises would emanate from our hearts, that your love would flow from our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that as we receive communion together, that you would examine our hearts and you would cause us to be obedient to you and to wake up out of our sleep and to praise you with our whole hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.